in defense of humanity. My name is Ostris Oz Miller. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Nathan Eric Dickman. Dr. Dickman, please introduce yourself. Hi, folks. My name is Dr. Nathan Eric Dickman. I can't believe that I get to be called a doctor um, when I'm on an airplane or whatever, and somebody says, if there's mm. a doctor on board, like, I never say yes. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I consider myself a doctor of the soul or the spirit or the mind, not like mm-hmm. a not like a shrink, but philosophically speaking, I try to identify philosophical diseases and then prescribe cures for them. Like write this essay, you know, uh, think this topic through, and that should help you with your philosophical diseases. Anyway, mm. uh, I uh, am from Iowa. Uh, that's where I consider myself from. I went to school at the University of Dubuque for undergrad. And then I didn't get a master's degree. I went straight to a PhD program in uh, philosophy at Purdue University. And then I transferred during my graduate education to the University of Iowa for a PhD in religious studies. Mm. Um, And so I earned my doctorate in religious studies uh, from the University of Iowa in 2009. And I worked as an adjunct at a community college. I worked as an adjunct at a state school uh, called the University of Northern Iowa. I worked at a a small liberal arts college as an adjunct called Coe College. Um, And during that time, uh, I was applying for jobs. And I remember saying, you know, I will work anywhere except for Georgia. I applied to um, reconstruction in uh, Baghdad when they were Mm -hmm. developing universities there. This was well before ISIS. Um, I also applied to Fairbanks, Alaska, and Young Harris was the first place to offer me a position. I had interviews with other places, but they were the first to offer, and Mm -hmm. I couldn't pass up the chance. And so I've been at Young Harris for 10 years. I just finished my 10th year at Young Harris, Mm -hmm. and I recently got hired by the University of the Ozarks in Arkansas, Mm-hmm. to be the assistant professor of philosophy there. Um, so I'm going to be moving during a pandemic and we'll see how that works. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, a little nervous about that, but uh, I'm working on my fall classes there and I'm pretty excited. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, and Yeah, go ahead. Uh, so I got a question for you. Uh, when mm-hmm. I was searching for this podcast, I typed mm-hmm. in, I just Googled in defense of humanity. Have you ever mm-hmm. done that? Have you ever searched for this? No, I haven't. Uh, you would be surprised at what comes up, like some really conservative oh, no. <laughs> right <laughs> wing uh, in defense of humanity and liberty and things like this uh, okay. start to come okay. up. Uh, you do not come up first. Uh, oh, wow. It, it, so what I did is I had to go back through your email invite, go through the mm-hmm. invitation and go straight to the um, what's the what's the uh, the website that you publish your podcasts under? Oh, I'm on Anchor. 
well, but there's this other thing. Anyway, I had to look up this other thing, and then mm-hmm. it, it took me to you, and I could listen to some of your podcasts, like with okay. Eliza and others, and, and so I was able to find it. Okay. So, uh, wow. so uh, wow. we got to start pumping up your uh, yeah, we hits. Need to, we definitely need to improve my SEO if, if I'm below right-wing libertarian <laughs> organizations. Right? Uh, that's, like, a, that's a bit of a problem. Yeah, you need to be the first thing that comes up, right? Because you're the true Absolutely. defender of humanity, not, not mm-hmm. those folks. I'm doing my best. I feel like they're defending a small segment of humanity for sure. Yeah, like um, they're, they're defending part of humanity. That, that's mm-hmm. the second thing that I was going to ask you. What do you even mean by humanity? Because that kind of sounds, I, I'm surprised to hear this from you. Mm-hmm. Uh, it mm-hmm. sounds a little speciesist. Speciesist. Yes, <laughs> yes. That's what, that's actually what, um, who is it? I think Logan Garrison uh, talked to me a little bit. He said, wow, you're, you're such a plant-based guy. You're about rights for all sentient beings in defense of humanity. And I was like, well, you know, it's a, it's a catchy name. And whenever I use it as an acronym, it sounds cool. Ido. Ido. Uh, mm-hmm. I could put Idaho, but that sounds very close to Iowa or Idaho. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I think the title's great. Look, it's very similar to me with uh, starting the student organization site, right? The Student mm-hmm. Inquiry Group for Humanist Thought. And, you know, a lot of my post-structuralist friends are kind of like, you're, you're anthropocentric. Don't we live in a post-anthropocentric age? And shouldn't we be like decentering humanity? And, mm-hmm. I, and I thought, well, look, given that I work at a religiously affiliated liberal arts college, and given that the leanings of most students is toward kind of a fundamentalist uh, religious disposition, usually Christianity, mm-hmm. right? That at least they're decentered from being, you know, um, uh, metaphysical theists into humanity, right? Like edging them that far. And, and at least it kind of makes sense in terms of the field of the humanities, right? If we think about the humanities as the set of disciplines that are kind of interpreting our cultural and societal and technological and ecological and in inheritances, you know, like if the job of the humanities is to ask the questions like, what does it mean to be human in light of all these inheritances, then at least something like sight or in defense of humanity, like you can, um, uh, be a voice for these fields that actually get us into questions of speciesism and stuff like that. Absolutely. Because yeah. I, I do believe as a human and Harrison Perusek and his episode debuts this Friday. Okay. So you have not yet heard it. We do talk about living in the Anthropocene and ethics as, as universal frameworks that we try to establish Mm -hmm. through environment environmental ethics environmental racism and Mm -hmm. the like are human constructs Mm -hmm. so even the fact that it is called in defense humanity and i did write my undergraduate thesis on speciesism so i see it and it did keep me up at night whenever i was deciding (laughs) i was like ah i do sound like a species but i feel that just like with the subaltern in defense of humanity provides a framework for those who cannot be heard by others okay i mean i'm, I'm just trying to talk my way out of it oh we, we could both see that it's kind of species <laughs> no no no. i don't look like i think the the accusation of speciesism 
is itself naive, right? Because mm. once you learn about speciesism, it kind of like once you learn about racism, once you learn about sexism, any sort of kind of ism that is accusatory mm -hmm. in nature, like if yeah. I call somebody an Orientalist, right? Like yeah. once you learn these sorts of critical vocabularies, mm -hmm. if you're not sufficiently sophisticated in your understanding of them, they become naive accusations and, and dismissals, yes. right? And so like I raise it as a topic of conversation, but not as an mm -hmm. accusation to say, oh yes, Absolutely. you've got to accept that your species is. It, the, very, the very concept should actually be helpful for progressing rather mm -hmm. than kind of, well, now I can dismiss you because I've discovered you're just this sort of thing, right? Okay. Now I can dismiss yes. you. Um, yeah, so I think, you know, just the simple accusation of it is not sufficient for a criticism of what you're doing, especially if you're getting into questions of the Anthropocene and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And just so the audience knows, uh, Dr. Dickman, Eric was one of my professors during my undergrad. Um, and I, though I would love to join him at University of the Ozarks, there are no PhD programs yet at University of Ozarks. So, not yet. Maybe soon. Not yet. And quite similar to you, how I came to Young Harris, I applied to several schools, a few Ivy Leagues even, and Young Harris was the first to accept me. Yeah. Two and a half weeks after I applied. Yeah. And then gave me significant scholarship. So without even seeing the other ones, I was like, okay, I guess. Yeah, well, I mean, I kind of, it, it's an honor, right? Because they're, they're saying, look, we believe in you. And I'm, mm -hmm. and I'm just going, well, look, if they're going to express that they believe in me, I'm going to join them. And I'm going to say that I believe in them, too, and do what I can to make it the best place possible. Mm -hmm. um, uh, oh, I also wanted to ask you another question. Yes. Defense from what? <laughs> Defense from what? Okay. Okay. So this is, this is good. So I think of uh, whenever I think of in defense of humanity, I think of something like indifference from the anti-poaching league so we know we're defending the animals from poachers mm -hmm. who are not other animals yeah. because you don't call a, a tiger hunting a poacher hmm. even though he is taking um, a large ungulate for its horns and everything that it has mm -hmm. but whenever i'm saying in defense of humanity i am saying we're that this podcast through discourse with different uh people is defending us from ourselves even our a critical self-analysis, our introspection. Um, yeah, yeah, Because yeah. I think in, in a few episodes, I'm even uh, thinking about myself. Someone asks a question, and then I pause for a really long time, thinking, oh, I do this to myself even. So in not trying to defend myself, but to defend um, the framework uh, that would help us move out of that. So it's not like, oh, if I find out, like, in some in some original position, I'm a racist. Mm. Oh, I'm not defending the systems that caused me to be a racist. Mm -hmm. I am defending the systems that could help me pull out of my racism. Okay. So, so there's certain systems that make us human or, mm -hmm. or facilitate our flourishing as humans. And then there's yes, other yes. systems that inhibit that or undermine it. Absolutely. And they're both technically human. But Ooh. Think, oh, he has a 
he has no humanity. You don't say it because he's doing evil things because those are human things as well. Even our notion of evil is a human concept. But you're saying he doesn't have, or this individual doesn't have humanity because he has no semblance of, of what we consider good. Well, yeah, because we, uh, we call it inhumane treatment of others, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, yes. Yeah, that doesn't mean that they're a zombie. No, I, I, I don't think so. So, so evil think... is also intrinsically human. Yes, yes. Um, I think, I can't remember exactly, but I remember a, so, what was it? A, a philosopher once said, the absence of evil, there is no good. In the absence of evil, there is no good. There is only. There's only. That's it. That That's the end. And then there's an ellipsis. I, someone... Someone shared this quote with me. Now, it could just be a keyboard warrior on Twitter yeah, who typed yeah. it and said, famous well, philosopher. Well, there, so, so this, there, there are answers to the, usually they're theologically oriented. Uh, these mm -hmm, theological, mm -hmm. the, these philosophical theologians like Augustine. Aquinas. Yeah, or Aquinas. But, but it's mm -hmm. really Augustine. And then before him, it's Plotinus. And it's, it's the great mm -hmm, chain mm -hmm. of being. And so this kind of theory of emanation that comes from yes. platonic philosophy, that there's this kind mm -hmm. of central core of the idea of the good is the name for this uh, uh -huh. fundamental pr generative principle of all being, all intelligibility. Um, yes. So Plotinus, I think, is the first one to call this God. And then Augustine kind of assimilates this theory into how to interpret Christianity, because they're all not, not necessarily Plato, but yeah, even Plato, like, where does evil come from? Because mm -hmm. goodness and being seem to have, seem to be coextensive. That is, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it is good to be, or being is good, or goodness is, um, along these lines. And so Plotinus has this theory of emanation that, you know, the first generative principle kind of emanates or vomits. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the, the metaphor is the sun. This is the analogy. And so the sun emanates or radiates all this light, but the farther you are from the sun, the darker it gets. And that darkness is non-being, nothingness. And so their answer to the question if the generative principle of all things or what they call God is uh, coextensive with goodness and being, mm -hmm. then, then we can account for evil, not because God causes evil, mm -hmm. but because evil is when there's cracks in, in lesser being, Mm -hmm. where it gets a mixture of nothingness in it. So evil is a function of the, the collision of being with non-being or nothingness. So, so, okay. so you can't answer the question like, why is there evil? Well, God caused it or God allowed it. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. evil is a function of the cracks in being where nothingness creeps in. So, like an example, I mean, I don't, I don't want to even 
bring up this, but uh, Hitler, for instance, uh, does a lot of evil. But the way he's able to do a lot of evil is that there's all of this being that's corrupted by non-being. So it's a lot of corrupted being that actually results in evil. Uh, but the goodness is not the cause of the evil. So then we can't say something like, you know, evil is a necessary concept to accompany goodness mm. because it's all non-being is not a necessary concept accompanying being because because mm. there's nothing there. There's no necessity. Necessity is a function of being not a yeah. function of non-being. So mm -hmm. like, how do you, every time that you say something like, um, uh, you cannot know good without knowing evil, that may be on yes. a conventional human level, but once we get ontological mm -hmm. about mm -hmm. it, once we get ontological about it, it's not possible to understand that sentence or that concept because mm -hmm. what you're doing is rendering or reifying nothing into something to be able to talk about it. Yes. Cause there's no it yes. to talk about. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And this, this entire being non-being dichotomy that you're explaining, I understand comes from Augustine and other platonic uh, thinkers such yeah. as him. Uh, I arrived to a similar understanding of this concept by way of C.S. Lewis, which yep. is probably a secondary yep. understanding with the problem of pain. I can remember reading that freshman mm -hmm. year. And uh, Lewis describes whenever people ask, oh, but why did this person like get sick mm -hmm. and die? Why would a just God allow yep. this to happen? It's not God's not doing it. It's the absence yeah. of God. That's why all sin is also equal in the eyes mm -hmm. of God. It's like a shadow. So God sees or God interprets the being of purity, mm -hmm. uh, the same thing, the mm -hmm. emanation of God. Mm -hmm. And then God knows that one is sin because it's like a shadow. It's mm -hmm. different. The light of God is more dim than mm -hmm. before. So that's why all sins equal because all things that are away from God, not through God are sin and cause the shadow. Yeah. It's just like dimming a yeah. light bulb. You don't know why, if it's a loss of power, if someone turned down the, yeah. the light bulb, if someone shot at yeah. the lights, but you know that you can see less of it. Therefore, something bad. Yeah, no, and see, yeah, C.S. Lewis is using like a platonic frame or Plotinus's or Augustinian framework there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's quite interesting mm -hmm. to think about. Well, and like it makes me think about the um, uh, Eleic philosophers like uh, uh, Parmenides and, and Zeno. Mm. Zeno is really interesting mm -hmm. because he's trying to support his master, um, Parmenides, his, his philosophy of, look, all movement, all change, all manyness <laughs> is an illusion that there's just one. Because mm. uh, if you understand the notion of being, there can be no other it's a totality mm -hmm. and then parmenides creates these paradoxes or you know, uh, zeno creates these paradoxes to try to support 
Parmenides kind of fundamental axiom here, which is, you know, you've probably heard about these for me to get halfway to you. I've got to cross halfway of that for me to get to that halfway. I've got to cross halfway of that to get half, you know, and I got to mm. cross halfway of that and uh, to infinity. Right. And so I never actually successfully move because there's an infinity of halfways between me and you. So it's an illusion mm. that movement can occur because once we get logical about it, it doesn't happen. My favorite Zeno's paradox that never gets talked about is for something to exist, it must exist in a place. But place does not itself have a place. Therefore, place does not exist. <laughs> right? Okay. And so okay. whatever exists in a place does not exist because there's no such thing as place. Because place is mm -hmm, always mm -hmm. going to be relative to other places. You cannot have like yeah. absolute placeness or something like that. Mm. So it's all of these attempts to undermine our conceptual apparatuses by which we understand the manyness in being. Uh, but this is, this is what mm. Aristotle and Plato are trying to solve is the question of the one and the many. So, so I, I think about it a little bit differently where... I think the first number that we understand is two and that one, just like zero, right? We didn't always have the concept zero. Uh, I forget mm -hmm. who invented mm -hmm. the concept zero, but it was a later invention. Uh, I think mm -hmm. one is kind of like that too, that we had the perception of difference first like two-ness, mm. and then from the two-ness, we infer oneness. And this kind of connects to yes. when you think about interpreting, there's this, look, this, I'm going to get pop here for a second. Uh, uh, Joseph Campbell, I can't stand, look, there's too many, there's too many <laughs> Joseph Campbell fanatics. Uh, it's not that I'm against yes. Joseph Campbell, it's just that people stop at him rather than getting deeper into the kind of ontological or, or phenomenological mm -hmm. underpinnings mm -hmm. of his projects. So he does comparative mythology using kind of a Paul Tillich or, or Rudolf Boltman type system of demythologization de okay. okay. is what the method is called. And it sounds like demythologization is getting rid of myths for science right like the more we understand how things work the less we can rely on myths to explain how things happen what they're saying is no 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 it's yes fine right science is correct but uh demythologization is about the existential interpretation of these myths rather than the metaphysical interpretation of these myths so when we read mm -hmm. something like the resurrection if you try to interpret it historically, what you're doing is treating it metaphysically rather than existentially. Like what does the resurrection mean for your life? Not did the resurrection happen? Those, that's the metaphysical, it's technically historical, but it's a metaphysical question uh, versus the what does it mean? How does it actually renew me as a reader or something like that? Okay, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm way off track. It's, it's about the one and the many. That's what we're getting at here. So just, Joseph, Joseph okay, Campbell one... lays out this really interesting uh, story where he's saying, okay, let's think about it this way. Um, in the Garden of Eden, there are two trees, the, two main trees, the tree of life yes. and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
And we can, we can reduce that to the tree of unity, the tree of life, keeps you integrated, mm-hmm. and the tree of duality, division, separation, yes. difference, right? So, so what happens when human beings eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what you're doing is uh, being corrupted by the dip, right? And go back to that idea of the mm-hmm. corruption mm-hmm. by the nothingness, right? It's almost like, nothingness splinters, splinters up being. Uh, and so what's happening when they are infected or I, I don't know if a contagion is the right word, especially during a pandemic, but uh, um, they're, they're, they consume duality and they start to become divided, divided from themselves. They become ashamed of their own bodies, divided from each other and so on. Okay. So, so then Campbell says this really interesting story that stuck with me. He's like, what else is Jesus but the fruit on the tree of life? When Christians take communion or, or participate in mass, I mean, he's, he's mm-hmm. crucified on the tree of Golgotha, and that, is, that, that ritual is an attempt to, for human beings to eat the tree eat the fruit from the tree of life. So they're trying to gain unity. Mm. But here's what, here's another interesting thing. Do you know the story of the Buddha's enlightenment? Uh, Uh, Anyway, he's sitting under a tree and he's like, I'm committed to like figuring out the truth. And, mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, um, technically, um, I think the story is that uh, Brahman, the God, you know, one of the main gods in Hinduism comes up to him and is like, now mm-hmm. that you've realized that truth, you, could, you, should, go tr- you should go teach people. Because he was just satisfied to know the truth for himself. He wasn't actually going to share. Yes. But anyway, so he's sitting under the tree, this tree in meditation. And so to sit like the Buddha in meditation, to replicate that practice, you are again consuming the tree, the fruit on the tree of life. So if we were to do like a comparative mm. study of Christianity and Buddhism, not that there are such things as Christianity and Buddhism, but like reif- re- speaking in reified terms, um, we, would, we would actually not compare prayer and meditation. We would compare communion or mass and meditation. Here's mm. a third mm-hmm. one. Here's a third one. This one is, gets even more interesting. So the Torah scrolls, in synagogues are kept on these wooden kind of decorative, uh, I don't know what they're called, what what do you, the rolling pins, but they're not rolling pins. Okay, on on the ends Mm. of these pins are fruit, like uh, pomegranate or something like this. And so Mm -hmm. those things are called (laughs) the tree of life. And so reading okay. the okay. Torah is the eating of the fruit of the tree of life. Like when you have a bar mitzvah or a bat mitzvah and the child, you know, the coming of age ceremony where they read from the Torah scrolls, mm-hmm. they are eating of the tree of life when they perform that act. So every time you study Torah, right? So the study of Torah, meditating like the Buddha, and performing mass, those are the appropriate concepts to compare in the comparative study of religion. 
right? They don't, right? Mm-hmm. Buddhists reading the sutras is not the same as, as Jews reading the Torah. Because okay. when you, okay. if you use this kind of model of what does it mean to move from duality back to unity, these sorts of practices are all about the, the retrieval or rejuvenation of, of, of unity in ourselves and with other people and ecologically and all that. Wow, I went on a huge tangent there. Okay. No, no, but I can, I can feel it. Now, I don't, I usually attempt to connect this to an everyday thing, but I feel this is a bit different and difficult uh, with the orthopraxy of eating the fruit of the tree of life, uh, going from duality to unity. Um, But luckily, I don't have to this time because the episode that goes up before this one by Harrison we talked about the mm-hmm. unity of nature mm-hmm. through Aldo Leopold, which is a bit, it's, I don't even think it's that much different. It's yeah. just a different framework. Aldo Leopold is thinking of nature and humanity. Uh, in the Anthropocene, we like to mm-hmm. distance ourselves saying that, sure, we can influence nature. We have mm-hmm. that duality of thought. We can change weather patterns, but we refuse to accept the fact that we can do these yeah. things accidentally as well that we can Mm -hmm. cause climate destruction. Uh, So Aldo Leopold says we need the type of unity that happens in indigenous communities across the world. It's easy enough to come in to a place and change things and say, I don't have to worry about it. I can leave or go somewhere else. But if you're the community native to that that place where you don't necessarily feel the ownership, Mm -hmm. but you feel a connection, then you, you lose that unity, but it's not your choice. So mm-hmm. you can't exist in duality. Mm-hmm. You exist in, mm-hmm. the, in the nothingness. Yeah, that's a good connection. I think that's part of the effort here with conservation and, and environmental justice is trying to create more mm-hmm. and more unity. Uh, solidarity is another word mm-hmm. for it. Integrity is another word for yes. it, right? Like all these like ecological balance or harmony, all these words are trying to Mm -hmm. capture Mm -hmm. a sense of belongingness or unity within the kind of corrosive diversity, the corrosive or, or domineering diversity, really. What else is oppression, but, you know, this separation of peoples from one another as higher and lower. Absolutely. Um, Mm. So um, Harrison posited a question, and later on, after the episode, he asked it, I asked you this. He said, is it, um, I was looking at it from a, uh, a Kantian perspective, deontological perspective, but I'd like to hear your analysis, utilitarian or even more particularist, on the creation mm. of national parks. I said, do we have a duty to do this? I'd say we didn't have a duty to destroy everything that would have been yeah. the, the national forests of the current place so now we have a duty to maintain what Mm. little bit there is left but i'd say in a utilitarian perspective then we had to create two frameworks as well what's good for humans or what we think is good for us in the moment and then what's yeah i think us yeah i think that i think that there's different strategies for different communities right so Mm -hmm. so I think primarily for America, United States citizens, we need to mm-hmm. uh, 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 think rhetorically, like what's going to be the rhetorical move that will be most persuasive so that even if people don't agree with us 
metaphysically or ontologically that mm-hmm. they will they will participate in this even if it's disgruntledly you know that they're that they are saying um you know like if we say we need to preserve the national forests or parks because it's actually good for human beings right there there's a anthropocentric mm-hmm. ethical framework but the reason why you might use that is pragmatically it's going to be more rhetorically persuasive for people who are you know mm-hmm. self-centered um so so for me i prefer to get more ontological about it whether whether it's kantian okay. or buddhist or I, look like utilitarian or consequentialist like i just i just do <laughs> not find that to be ethics at all that that just has changed okay. the topic from ethics to yes use yeah. value um right so as soon uh-huh. as we right this right as soon as we get into questions <laughs> of use we're no longer doing ethics anymore so mm-hmm. so like it's not i can see the the um kantian framework where look if we stipulate this mm-hmm. is what ethics is ethics is the laws of freedom right so how do we preserve mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. rational being autonomy the autonomy of rational beings okay that's mm-hmm. one way to do it uh i like um like a a more buddhist informed framework like uh the dalai lama for instance this is this is okay you could read this as a consequentialist framework but it preserves ethics rather than mm-hmm. gets rid mm-hmm. of ethics um so so in this system let's think about like why let's think about the question why is it wrong to be self selfish why is it wrong to be selfish and for him mm. if you really understand the nature of reality reality is not composed of discrete self-subsistent entities right there aren't particular things things are a function of underlying principles of uh interdependence um right like okay, like there, okay. nothing exists as this self-subsistent entity without relation to other things so for him relation mm-hmm. is and for the buddha uh relation is a more fundamental dynamic of the universe or of being than entities than things mm-hmm. and things are actually functions you know uh phenomena that that arise they call yes. it dependent co-arising right things things arise and then I, dissolve I and uh, because these underlying mm-hmm. i mean think of o- an ocean right like the waves emerge and then go back into the ocean mm-hmm. emerge go back into the that's how things happen and, yes um so so if you really understand the nature of reality as interconnectedness then mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. be selfish is to not live in reality so what makes selfishness yes. wrong ethically wrong is the ontological order within which you are acting so the ontological order of mm-hmm, independence mm-hmm. exposes selfishness as an illusion so so when we think you know the 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 ecological kind of totality 
we realize if we're interconnected with it all, the reason why we should be preserving it is in order to preserve the integrity of the whole, right? To realize that we are not separate, that we are connected, we are one, you know? Uh, I think that's what the Gaia theory stuff is trying to get at. Uh, these different yes, things where okay, if okay. we're all one, if we keep treating each other like we're separate, whether, you know, like that's my thing to exploit or whatever. Um, yeah. Am I making? Yeah. More or less. Yes. Yes. Now, now I have one question for you. Uh, well, I have many questions for you, but I have okay. one in this very moment. Um, is this the dependent yeah. emergence that you just spoke about? Uh, I, I remember you assigned mm -hmm. Ethics of the New Millennium mm -hmm. by Dalai Lama. Does this include the term, I think it's yeah, Astitiyat Samudpada? Yep. That's the Sanskrit for that okay. concept. Okay. Yeah. okay. And does the Sanskrit mean no, that's, dependent No, that's emergence? the phrase that I use. The, the phrase that they say are things like dependent okay. okay. co-arising. Uh, interdependent conditioning, mm -hmm. things like this. There, there's a, it has a number of connotations, okay. right? Yeah. I, I like mm -hmm. emergence mm -hmm. because it captures okay. that, that growth and decay kind of component of it. Yeah. yeah. Whereas, whereas when I, as Absolutely. an English speaker, when I hear like arising or co-arising, I'm like, I, I mean, when I get mm -hmm. out of bed, like, what do you mean by arise or arisen? <laughs> You know, yes, he has yes. arisen. Uh, this is the resurrection. What are we talking about? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I use emergence yes, because yeah, people yeah. talk about like emergent properties. So, so water is H2O. Mm -hmm. We know that its elements yes. are hydrogen and oxygen. But, but there's an emergent mm -hmm. property of water, liquidity. <laughs> <laughs> that is not part yes, of oxygen yes. and not okay, part of hydrogen. Okay. Liquidity mm -hmm, exists, mm -hmm. but it exists as an emergent property yes, of yeah. the interdependence of H and two, two H's and an O. Or wait, is it two, two okay. O's and an H? Whatever. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, so now that I'm so glad that you said it in that way, but now I have to be this guy who asks unnecessary questions in the podcast. If the emergent nature of water is liquidity, would the urgent nature of water be maintenance of that liquidity? Because if the two are separated through electrolysis, then there is mm -hmm. um, an explosion. So is the same thing true of um, humans and our selfishness? If we choose to look away from this um, dependent emergence, this, mm -hmm. this blanket theory, I suppose, mm -hmm. uh, where we are all interconnected, does it end catastrophically? Well, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to say to that. Could you, could you try running the question by me mm -hmm. again? Okay. Yes, yes, yes. Um, so if, right. If we're all, yeah, we have the blanket theory, right? With, yeah. Um, yes. If, if we choose to be selfish to, fight that nature of interconnectedness yeah um what right are right some so of the results of yeah that? um it's hard like i think that 
you may have some in not you but one might have insight into the mm-hmm. interconnectedness of the whole um but you it's really difficult to sustain that consciousness over time um and mm-hmm. so that's why there's the practice of meditation it's not like you meditate one time and then you are done because you now realize you're connected to the whole it's you got to keep doing it you got to remind yourself remind yourself because it's so easy to slip back into conventional duality or whatever right um but but is it devastating it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be it can it it's the the stimulus by which or the impetus by which devastation can occur right like this is war Right. We wouldn't have war if we didn't have the divided nation states, if we had. Right. And so if we I'm not trying to promote globalism necessarily, but, you know, like there's there's this mm-hmm. sense of once you make that distinction between me and uh, or us and them, it can lead to a, it can it can lead to devastation, but it doesn't have to. OK, OK. Think, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. that answered my question most certainly. It was more of an answer than the one I expected to get from you, yeah, yeah, because I think yeah. I was just asking to ask a question. Um, so now that we've covered that, we've covered Plotinus, um, Plato, Augustine, theology, Buddhism, yeah, yeah. humanity, Absolutely. defense, Wait, all of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, where to now? I, I would say no um, Aquinas, but I feel that Aquinas has some leanings. No, I don't want to talk about Aquinas Augustine for sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I do. I, I, just to say that Aquinas, <laughs> for as many modern literalists as there are who read the Bible, Aquinas mm-hmm. at least promoted. Yes. Um, oh, there's there's another interesting thing that I like reading about with Aquinas. Uh, I, I, Aquinas at least promoted uh, allegorical interpretation or anagogical interpretation of the Bible where mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He, he's not a literalist. And, yes. and what does literalism even mean before the modern era, right? Like, like if, if, if you point up, heaven is not up anymore. You, there's no such thing as up on a round thing. There's no such thing as a sunset, you know, yes, like you yes. can't be... Mm-hmm. You can't be a literalist in the same way that pre-modern people were literalists. Whatever literalis- literalism even meant mm-hmm. then, mm-hmm. I don't even, I, I, don't, I can't even understand it. Anyway, uh, the other thing that's really interesting yeah. about Aquinas, there's this passage, and I wish I could remember it. I mean, I, all I remembered is noting this and then moving on. I don't even remember where I read this, but... But that we tend, and and this Mm -hmm. really goes back to Aristotle and his theory of the soul. If the soul is how things move, like all things that have souls are living things and living things move, uh, the soul is not really on the Mm -hmm. inside, it's on the outside. We, we tend to think of consciousness okay, okay. Or, or who I really am as being behind my eyeballs somehow. I don't know why people think that way. Like, 
there's almost this association of subjectivity mm-hmm. with the brain. I don't know. And, and there's evidence like when we, you know, tamper with people's brains that it actually affects their consciousness. Fine, fine, fine. But, but there is this sense that after the modern era and we get subjectivized in a different way than how people were, again, just like with literalism, before the modern era, there really wasn't a word for subjectivity in the way that we have it after Descartes. Um, and so this, this idea mm-hmm. of the mm-hmm. soul was really something that, I, I don't want to use the word embodied because that makes it seem as if there's still this inner component to it that then gets embodied, but yes. or this spirituality that's like, disembodied and then gets embodied no it's your soul is on the outside your soul is your character that you perform publicly to the world like thinking happens in front of you rather than behind you kind of like a pop-up book you know (laughs) like (laughs) anyway but but i forget the exact passages where aquinas is really explicit about this and and, you know, we could get into Aristotle to talk about it, but it's, I mean, I basically summed up the, the coolest part about it. Yeah. Yeah. So now that you've mentioned soul, I have no choice but to ask about the, I don't know how to describe this, the ancient, not ancient, but the, the, the pre Christ notion of the three the the tripartite soul oh i don't judaism go ahead you go ahead you have okay so specifically i'm thinking about uh Mm -hmm. nefesh uh Mm -hmm. the flesh uh ruach like logic justification and then neshema like the the thing that allows you to to go to the highest realm of heaven but this could be me misconstruing uh, Hebrew words into yeah, Catholic. Yeah. Um, All, uh, Catholic I mean, look, we, we can get out the Hebrew dictionary and start looking at connotations of all of those words. Uh, for me, the first meaning mm-hmm. or the primary meaning of Ruach is breath and spirit. So it, it, again, it goes back to okay. uh, motion, right? Like breathing things like mm-hmm. God breathes into the clay to create Adam, right? Yes. Um, that's yes. that, that sense mm. of Ruah is the spirit of God is above the waters during the early moments of creation. So, so this, mm-hmm. I, I don't know, I'm not familiar with any tripartite thing. So the fact that you were like reason and logic is associated with Ruah, I'm, I'm like, I've never heard that. I don't know. So... So, but there is the tripartite (laughs) soul in Plato where there's reason, passion, and spiritedness Mm -hmm. or like anger or whatever. Yeah. But I'm not familiar with this tripartite soul in Judaism like that. Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's, I have um, a few friends who are Mm -hmm. from the the state of Israel who, Mm -hmm. who talk about like Mm-mm. nefesh, I'm sure mm-hmm. my pronunciation is awful. These are like Yiddish words, um, which is like flesh. So that's okay. that's what a golem's made out of as well. Adam, the like yeah. the dirt is made into the body. 
the Ruach is the breath. Like the, I think of like Logos, um, that in the beginning God breathed um, into Adam, like you said. And then the Neshema okay. is that which legislates, that which allows us to, to make um, decisions that can get us into heaven, which is why animals do have a soul in this assumption because a large majority of yeah yeah i'm seeing this i'm, I'm looking it vegetarian. up okay i'm seeing um, because this. they feel yeah 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 because they mm -hmm. feel animals do mm -hmm. have the two souls but not the neshama which allows them to achieve yeah. okay uh, celestial form yeah but that could also just be a um a post show up framework for understanding the soul as well from yeah i don't know it looks like it's from the zohar uh which is the the medieval uh text okay. for uh and look like lurianic kabbalah is full-on jewish kind of mysticism mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I, and mysticism is not quite the right word but anyway it's yes. this kind of mode of being Jewish in a, a little bit different way than kind of the rationalism of Maimonides and stuff like this. Yes. Um, and so I see that those, uh -huh, uh -huh, a lot uh -huh. of those words are coming from this and that that's kind of what it made me think of the Sephirot and, and all these sorts of things. Uh, Ein Sof and, yes. and the okay, kind okay, of okay. emanation of God uh, through the Zimzum or, or contracting and, and this. Um, so, so yeah, I think it, it's got classical Absolutely. kind of origins, it looks like. Yeah, I'm just not familiar enough with it. Cool. Cool. That 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 definitely helps that you just looked it up. I don't know why I didn't just look up Zohar, because that is in fact where the the mm. modern interpretation of Golem comes from as well. Uh the medieval um Mm -hmm. Jewish sex, I guess. Kabbalah, but like but it's said. hard to talk about Kabbalah today because so much of it has been kind of uh, appropriated from Judaism, right? Like into this kind of cultural mm -hmm. phenomena, kind of like what happens with yoga, yeah. right? It, now you can do yoga in the rec center and it's kind of dislodged yes. from yes. the spiritual tradition that gives it kind of oomph same thing with meditation i mean that happens too with like zen meditation gets uh secularized into this mm -hmm, kind of mm -hmm, mm -hmm. health mental health practice rather than it's kind of embeddedness in a tradition yeah. of spiritual practice yeah yeah that, that's exactly what um um, member of the Isha Foundation, Sam Choi, said on, I think it was the last podcast, he said that um, yoga in its original practice is a mind, body, spirit on a, on a, an everyday, like hourly mm -hmm. recourse. It's, it's mm -hmm. not just about the movements. It's about the breathing and the, the practice in one's mind. But now we can, as you said, mm -hmm. go into a rec center hit 15 minutes mm -hmm. um, after work. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm not sure, coach. right? Like there's a part of me that's like, have at it, you know? Like there's a part of me that's like, anything yeah. that's, who was it that said this? Um, Nothing human is alien to me. I forget who said, oh man, it was mm -hmm. on the tip of my tongue. I can see him, but I can't say, all right, anyway says nothing human is alien to me. And so there's a part of me that that's like, have at it, like whatever works, take advantage of it, 
if it if it helps in some way and look like if if the 15 minutes is the foot in the door to spiritual maturity fantastic uh that there's like elements of cultural appropriation happening like i'm i'm on the fence about it but that's kind of a privileged position to be able to say that right like as a white man i can kind of say like let's appropriate everything right because <laughs> but but at the same time i want to respect mm. cultural inheritances and say no 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 we we need to put this in context and and so maybe finding some sort of balance with it, uh, with spiritual practices where, but I, I don't know. I know, because then I start thinking about I've been rushed and like initiation into like, like private, yes. okay. Okay. not secretive, but the esoteric tradition versus the exoteric traditions. So, right, to be an initiate mm -hmm. into mm -hmm. the esoteric depth of things requires a kind of personal investment that you can't you can't get with you know yes mick yoga or something right like fast food yoga or something uh -huh. Uh -huh. but i don't want to be too harsh on yoga in particular because yeah i mean it's not I, I, like that's the only it's easiest to pick but i think uh, marchman had a class on this uh, uh it's clear that like buddhism has mm -hmm. become uh mcdonaldified you know that yes that yeah the same thing happens with all of it mm -hmm. yeah for sure for sure and whenever you say that i specifically think of well the first thing that pops into my mind mm -hmm. are peoples in the caribbean and west africa uh tourism like in senegal you can buy a dashiki, walk around and be yeah. like, yeah, I went to Senegal or I helped out in Kenya and they made this for me. And then for a majority, I was talking with some friends from, from uh, Cameroon. They're like, oh yeah, usually those beads <laughs> come from like China, AliExpress. And then we, we assort them mm -hmm. into colors mm -hmm. they associate with our, our country because they're on our flag mm -hmm. and they don't actually mean anything. None of us would ever wear any of that. So it's like, it's like trivializing it so you can but that well, well yeah that's the entrepreneurial character of profit. it uh th there's this uh i think his last name's jenkins he's this scholar of buddhism he calls it the pizza effect where mm. you know we have this americanized version of pizza mm. and then and then united states folk want okay. to go okay. travel to italy to get authentic pizza and so they go to the back roads or go to these restaurants mm -hmm. and good mm -hmm. entrepreneurs are going to feed them something that approximates but is slightly different from american pizza instead of giving them authentic yes. italian pizza right and then americans think ah now i'm having authentic uh -huh. italian pizza Right. And so, so there's this, and then, <laughs> yes, okay. and then it just totally mixes up. Like, so I, I you know, I, I'm not even sure what to do with the question of authenticity, you know, uh, especially after, after uh, really studying mm -hmm. Adorno's, mm -hmm. uh, the jargon of authenticity. Um, he's more concerned about existentialism and this use yeah. of authenticity as a kind of principle for what it is to have a meaningful life. Um, he's using authenticity that way, but, but we live mm -hmm. in a world where mm -hmm. people are like, I want to have an authentic experience in when I travel, I don't want to do something touristy. Right. And so then if you're getting, 
yeah manipulated by entrepreneurs into thinking that you're having an authentic experience and you feel like you're genuinely having an authentic experience what's the difference does it matter <laughs> you know mm, mm. yeah yeah i i i suppose because like um um going to like tribal events in the west indies um going to carnival even in New Orleans, people are like, oh, this place is fun. But they don't realize mm-hmm. as soon as tourism is over, as soon as the season's over, mm-hmm. everyone is nearly identical. And mm-hmm. I think specifically in Dominica and Kalinago territory, people are speaking in uh, Kalina Pigeon, which is not even close to, they're just speaking French Creole yeah. in a, in a uh, er- erotic accent. So it sounds like they're not speaking yeah uh uh, what um a european language i'm getting an authentic experience yeah and then they Mm -hmm. tell them a few words yeah this is this is what you guys wear Mm -hmm. yeah men running around in grass skirts and then as soon as they're gone Mm -hmm. t-shirts on Mm -hmm. suits on back to the office in the center of the island it's like well because that that gives them that authentic experience if they actually show the businessmen whatever right yeah selves as they are right now in 2020 there would be no reason yeah, to they have, would tourism, have no money right? like it's a performance entire... in order to preserve the tourism yeah so so what is it yeah. about our dis- but mm-hmm. but notice that tourism kind of preserves this self other us them division where it's like what is the what is the yes. kind of phenomenological disposition of the tourist? Like what kind of consciousness do you mm. have to have uh-huh. to be a tourist, right? I think about this when I remember friends of mine would go on vacation and they would come back and they would show me photos and, and they would just be like, then we went here, then we went here, yeah. then we went here. And the whole time, look, this is not to criticize my friends, you know, I love you all, but... I'm just sitting there going, and so what? So what? What does it mean? What did, what did it mean to you to see that? But it's like the sheer consumption yeah. of the experience was sufficient to call it an experience. Like, mm-hmm. I saw this. Okay, you saw it. And, and it was amazing. Okay, amazing in what way? I had never seen it before. Well, you can Google it. You know, like, what do you, what's the point? Right. I'm, and I'm not trying to be too severe in this. I'm, I mean, I think there is something to, mm-hmm. right? The, the very kind of function of consciousness is you become other than yourself to reappropriate yourself. And that's how you grow. What else is digestion? But, but like making the other into oneself, not, mm-hmm. not in the sense mm-hmm. of assimilation and appropriation as in it's, just domination, but just in the sense that you have to become different from, right? You have to travel away from home to come back home to actually become self-conscious of your home as a home, or else you would just be taking it for granted. It's kind of like you don't know English until you learn another language so that you can see English as a language rather than just it's a transparent medium Mm -hmm. by which you Mm -hmm. experience the Mm -hmm. world. So, so I'm not trying to say that people shouldn't travel and see sites yes. and things like this, but that it's got to be in a certain way for it to actually work as something to grow from. 
And when I see, and I think the tourist disposition is kind of, that's why it's so easily exploitable. And, and I don't mean exploitable in the sense that people Mm -hmm. shouldn't be trying to make money and, and survive, but exploitable in the sense of we can, we can give them what they want in order to make money because they're just desiring consumption. They're not even thinking critically about their consumption. And it's kind of like Mm. we need to kind of create, reinvigorate our schools, our our education system, so that criticism becomes part of consumption. You know, like to, like think about our very consumption of food, Mm. right? Like to, to be critical about our consumption of food as we're doing it, be critical about our consumption of music or media. And by critical, I I just mean, you know, Thich Han calls it mindful, mindful consumption, you know? Mm, mm, Okay. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's no, no, that's interesting about the tourism because I have noticed this as well. People come back, they have pictures um, they ask, how did you feel whenever you went to this place? But I know Alejandro mm-hmm. is quite similar whenever we talk about going places that at first I try not yeah, I to be a tourist as much as possible. I find out what everyone wears. I, um, if, if they speak a language that I know, I, I just go in and I do my best to blend in to see how everyone else. Yeah, acts. but yeah I see the, but the, the way they I do still naturally. think okay so so um who's who's that anthropologist mm-hmm. um Clifford Geertz like I studied him in the in the uh the academic, Geertz, okay, you know okay, in the Bobby, series yeah. of religion he's got this article in his uh what's the mm-hmm, interpretation mm-hmm. of culture is the text He's got some significant contributions to yes. how to theorize and study religion anthropologically. But one of his one of his kind of key concepts mm-hmm, in mm-hmm, another mm-hmm. article in that book is once you once you become self-conscious or make people of a culture self-conscious, you've you've inadvertently changed it. So so think for instance, uh, I'm yes. going to talk okay. about academics for instance. So so we are concerned about grade inflation. So Mm -hmm. uh, one thing that is interesting to me, like as a department chair or like a Dean is when they're assessing the, their performance of their faculty to raise the question of, I just want you to be aware. This is your grading distribution across your classes. You seem to be heavy in giving D's. You or you seem to be heavy in giving A's or something like this, okay? And and for the chair or dean to say something like, there is mm-hmm. no judgment. This is not contributing to your evaluation. You are not performing poorly. Uh, this may be that you had really good students or really bad students, whatever it is. But the point of raising it to attention is that by making people aware of it, it's going to change the norms of the practice. And so you no longer have like a measure of the authenticity, the uncorrupted, pure state of the culture. What you now have is a, so a corrupted state. So mm-hmm. when you think about yourself, as soon as you enter a cultural context as an observer, 
even if you're deliberately trying to blend in, mm -hmm. you're still mm -hmm. creating this context of self-consciousness that, that inadvertently changes the norms mm -hmm. of the culture. Mm -hmm. and, and to me, just, okay, let's give up the question of pure, un, unadulterated culture then. You know, let's just, fine, go and change it. Like, yeah. I mean, this is, this is kind of the paradox of the leave no trace method for um, like outdoor experiences, right? The, the, uh, the yeah. fundamental principle mm -hmm. there is mm -hmm. it's not quite Taoist or, or Zhuangzi with Wu Wei, the non-action. It's, it's you make it seem as if you were never there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm kind of like, I don't, yeah. I don't know if that's possible. The fact that you were there, you're going to leave traces. You should minimize it of to course. the degree that you're not contaminating or polluting or mm -hmm. whatever. But to really believe that you can leave no trace on a person, on a, you know, state park, whatever, that, that I don't know, that strikes me as naive. Like, it, it seems anti-human. Speaking of I, defending I think, humanity, it seems anti-human to me. Uh -huh. Yes. I, I, I feel that LNT was just a, um, a clever and short acronym that they wanted to use instead of LATAP. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. LATAP. Yeah. That's what it should have been, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, but I don't think yeah. I would hear that. Many people, <laughs> you know, loud tap, whatever they're going in. Um, but no, no, I, I can completely agree with you that as soon as I enter into a space and I think I'm being nonchalant trying to blend in, because I remember an instance whenever I was in um, South New Zealand, South Island, mm. I was hanging around. Mm -hmm. I had large hair, you know, large curly hair. And other people mm -hmm. who also had melanin because they were Melanesian assumed mm -hmm. I was from um, Raul in Tahiti, uh, French Polynesia, because my friend and I were yeah. speaking French and we were dark people. Yeah. And uh, since it's a South Pacific, yeah. less likely that mm -hmm. we're going to be African, more likely that we're going to be Melanesian. So they just assumed. And then because like mm -hmm. there were there were other groups around there, there was a lot of alcohol yes. involved it's best that we didn't cause an altercation. So we said, oh, we're not from Raul. And they're like, oh, cool. And they just nodded and walked away. I still believe in my mind that before Rocky mm -hmm. told them, everyone assumed that we were just from the island above it. That we we're like, no, no, we're not from French Polynesia. They're mm -hmm. like, ah, ah. Those guys are definitely- Because they, they didn't have any trouble with you then. And then they just walked away. So yeah, yeah. But I feel equally so though, because you have the dynamics of being a minority, if we would have said, oh, we're of African descent, I feel they wouldn't have had a problem, but they would have been less likely yeah. to speak um, Polynesian, Melanesian. Right. Uh, trying to make it easy for you. Switch to English or French. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah. Which is often the thing. Mm -hmm. People like you, mm -hmm. you see at, at like a Mexican restaurant, which we have a lot in Spanish. Mm -hmm. Someone will come up and be like, oh, my son speaks Spanish. Speak with yeah. him. And then, like, the, the kid is like, I don't yeah. want to do this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the parrot tries to use Spanish. And the, yeah. the waiter responds uh, that, to the English. Like, and that's oh, part of the kind of this. globalization uh, or colonialization of the world, right? Where we have 
time is Western time. Mm -hmm. English has come to dominate, right? And Americans or United States folk uh, Mm -hmm. participate in the world like so self-centeredly that everyone defaults to pleasing, placating in this kind of, Mm -hmm. yeah. Hmm. Whew. We've been talking for a while. You doing okay? Absolutely. Mm. We have. Yeah. yeah uh, no, not fine. for a while. How are you? Do you have anything I'm doing else all to right. do? Not for a while. Okay. I think I think we've yeah. covered a lot of our topics that we wanted to cover. Um, let me yeah. just look back through our list. Yeah, yeah. So we've covered Plato, mm-hmm. not necessarily the Republic, yep. but we have gotten into a little bit of Plato. Mm-hmm. We mentioned Tillich. Um, by way of other philosophers, mm. uh, the role of yeah. questions and thinking in religious texts. We have thought <laughs> about mm-hmm. thinking and questions, and we've discussed religious texts. I've mentioned it, both of them. Uh, have yeah. we done phenomenology and existentialism? We mentioned There was phenomenon. something else I was going to bring up to you. Yeah. yeah. So I guess. Oh, it had to do with your mm-hmm. story that you were telling. Oh, man, maybe I'll come to mind. The one we were just on about the experience, uh, yeah, which, the perception. Which story was that? The one about New Zealand. Mm. Yeah, I'm not. I'm, I, I don't have more to. I mean, I have more things that I want to talk about, but I, I don't necessarily have more to say there. Um, I, mm. It had something to do with getting like more toward consciousness rather than um, like societal experiences. Mm. And thinking more about how when we think about ourselves, for instance, that as soon as I talk about myself, I am objectifying myself to myself, right? And so, again, we're back to this question of reality Mm -hmm. versus the illusion. Like, if somebody is self-centered or egocentric... yeah if the ego is actually transcendent Mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. consciousness and you are your consciousness, not your ego, and you do things that are egocentric, then you're not actually Uh living. Yeah. I mean, look, like I I could get on a soapbox about all this stuff because this, this goes back to the tourism stuff, all this stuff where, where we are kind (laughs) of so conditioned Uh into certain norms that, it's so thoroughgoing even into the level of how we think about consciousness that, you know, people, people think that, yeah, it has to do with authenticity yes. and, and all these sorts of things. So it's kind of bringing it all together here. Um, yes. So the, the key kind of notion okay. that I want to, okay. I don't know, weave around here is, is that um, like people, when you ask somebody, I'm trying to get the question where people answer it this way. People will often say like, be true to yourself and do what you want to do. And I think, well, how can you know that what you want is what you want? If we all know that we have been socialized into Mm. wanting certain things. And so if you go with what you want, yeah, you're actually going with socialization. 
rather than being so-called true to yourself. Mm. Okay. So like when people try to figure okay. out who they are mm. and what they want mm. with their lives and things like that, they, they look at what they want. And I have this, you know, uh, it's not an objection. It's not a, it's not a fundamental condemnation. It's a question, right? Like, why, why is wanting or feeling, you know, do what feels right? Why are feeling and wanting considered the kind of fundamental principles of decisiveness for people's self-understanding uh, when they're trying to figure out who they are, or what they should do with their lives, or even, even in minor decisions, like what do you want to eat, you know, uh, that we, we end up evading using higher order principles. Like even going back to your question about the tripartite soul in Judaism or Plato, whatever it is, we don't appeal to the principles of the highest ordered component of our soul or mind or self that instead we, we are conditioned into appealing to our, ah, mm. uh, I, I don't look, but we're into duality again. If I say lower, right, lower instincts, like wanting and feeling, but uh, I'm not sure that lower is the right way to go. Cause that can be complicit with yeah. domination, right? That can be complicit with, especially if reason or higher order thinking mm -hmm. becomes, if we can expose its complicity with colonialism and oppression and things like that, uh, to create that hierarchy, even on the inside. Yeah. That, that's why I tend to think about it less as a hierarchy and more in terms of the ego or your want. As soon as you talk about your want, you are now separate from your want because it is transcendent to consciousness as an object of consciousness. Like desire should always be uh, coextensive mm -hmm. with the origin point of consciousness. But as soon as you talk about your desire, this, this is why it's so awkward when, you know, people will stop me on the street and say, hey, how you doing? And I'm like, I was fine until you asked me because now that I'm thinking about how I'm doing, I'm actually alienated from myself. Because now I'm observing how I'm doing rather than being in my doing. Am I making sense? <laughs> so now I, now I don't feel good anymore. Yes. Because now yeah. I'm separate yeah. from my having no, felt no, good. Because sense. now you're asking me to reflect on myself mm -hmm. rather than be myself. Mm. Yes. And, and mm -hmm. I think Dr. Dr. David S. Mora, um, French professor... Um, he said something similar that Americans, yeah. not, not even Americans, um, North Americans, Canadians, Americans, as well as even uh, Mexico um, are so willing mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. say whenever someone asks, how are you? I'm fine and move along. But if you ask this in Western Europe or in uh, North Africa, you, you, you realize quite quickly if you come from <laughs> you're going to get uh, a North long story American perspective. You shouldn't have asked the question. Because someone yeah. will tell you full well. well and that, I think that well, you know, my dog died. So I think I'm not that people feeling, do that feeling here too. too. What you they wanna, try to do is to make it? the question genuine. Like, oh. They'll go, "No, really, how you doing?" And and so as soon as that happens, you it's like 
Well, yeah. look, like now yeah, I have yeah. to think about my. I was doing fine thinking about what I'm doing next, but now you're asking me to think about myself, and that's the one thing I would prefer not mm-hmm. to think about mm-hmm. because we we're in a pandemic. You know, like I think that's why, like you've been going to the site meetings. Some, yeah. I, I think what's happening now um, is we mm-hmm. are we are kind of constantly checking in with one another. How are you doing? You know, how are you doing with social isolation? How are you doing with, are you staying safe? Have you been wearing a mask? Right. And, and Mm -hmm. even Mm -hmm. if we have Mm -hmm. a task at hand that we're both kind of working on, eventually that kind of comes out and then we're back to this kind of separating ourselves from ourselves rather than maintaining integrity and unity with ourselves. And it kind of makes us ever more, that, that's a function of our vulnerability in this context, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. We're ever more vulnerable, the more we are separate from ourselves. Because it's like this opening by which um, the, yeah. the nothingness yeah. can kind of cor- corrosively affect our being. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, um, to, to ask a, a little bit more of a pointed question, if, if we're feeling all right in these, in these times, whenever we're having these video chats or right now on the podcast, then how do you think people feel as soon as those times are over? Whenever yeah, there, just I know. Cause in, in everyday activity before the pandemic, and if do I something. end a video call, I can go out. Yeah, yeah. I think, right, to make the distinction between loneliness and being alone, because there have been times when I have been right next to someone. I mean, Mm -hmm. whether it's a romantic partner, whether it's friends or acquaintances or family, whatever, right? Like, there are numerous times when I could be around someone and feel even more lonely in the face of them being present, right? So, Loneliness is not the same thing mm-hmm. as being alone. Mm-hmm. Um, Sartre had, I think Beauvoir both said this, some, something yes. about like, if you don't like being alone, that's because you don't like yourself. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, so there's yes. this. Yeah, that was I don't, yeah, I don't yeah. know. Uh, I think, right, it forces us not to. I just heard recently about Zizek. He must look, whatever. I don't know what to do with him. Uh, I heard recently that he's made a comment about during the pandemic, Mm -hmm. it's not the time Mm -hmm. for introspection that we really should just be vegging on Netflix, binge watching Netflix to preoccupy ourselves, to wait for it to be over. Something like now I haven't (laughs) looked into his point. I heard it secondhand. I don't know if he was trying to make an ironic statement. So I'm going to leave it alone. But the, for me, it's not that I'm trying to say the, a yeah. silver lining is people can introspect because that's kind of a privileged position, right? Like if your family member is dying of COVID, if your family member is in the house with COVID and you're trying to isolate from that family member, yes. right? Like, and if you are a member of uh, uh, communities of color, mm-hmm. right, that are disproportionately affected by this, a prison, right, whatever whatever context that we're talking about where people are nursing homes, vulnerable uh, populations, like it's too privileged to say now's our opportunity to finally get more existential and whatever. Right. That's not quite what I'm saying. 
what, what I'm trying to say is, yeah, when we're done with this podcast recording, yes. we, we might feel lonely, mm-hmm. but we know that we could feel lonely even in the context of company. Mm-hmm. So, so we also know that we could pre- preoccupy ourselves with mind-numbing activities, which in the context of suffering that may actually be comforting. But if we're not quite, and by suffering, I mean suffering like somebody mm. dying or, or whatever, right? Like pain from something. Uh, maybe you're experiencing the pain of literally being alone, but that may be the pain of not being able to conveniently uh, preoccupy yourself, right? So then what I'm trying to say is less we should introspect and become existentialists and more when we're done, can we find another satisfying activity to participate in to maintain our flourishing? You know, something rather than mere preoccupation. But look, like I, I, I preoccupy myself at times. I'll binge watch whatever, right? Like uh, some people sedate themselves with uh, narcotics, right? Like whatever it takes to get through it. I'm not saying that I'm doing any better than anybody else. Yeah. I'm saying there are constructive activities and there are self-destructive activities. And, and it's hard when you're completely alone mm. Mm-hmm. to have the self-discipline to be able to do those things. And that's why we, that's, that's something nice about technology, right? Is that we can reach out and say, look, I'm, I'm struggling. What are you guys doing? Can you give me a pep talk before I try to like do something constructive? Something like that. I don't know. I don't know. What about you? What do you think? Yeah, for certain. I, I attempted because I heard of Zizek as well um, during this time. And I, I did my best. I, I remember I, mm-hmm. I left the, the last mm-hmm. meeting that we were in. I think it was your going away party. I said, mm-hmm. I'm going to go watch Veronica Mars. And I sat down. And I realized I had two episodes left. And I was like, oh, it's bad. So mm-hmm. I watched him, realized there's a movie before the fourth season, which happens 10 years later. So I was like, why not? And then I went to sleep at four, woke up at my normal time at seven. And then I sat there and I was like, well, <laughs> I've watched everything I've wanted to watch. And now I'm just sitting. And then I, I had a circuit run, but because I live in mm-hmm. rural Georgia, I have to drive to a nearby city to run on the track. And I was like, uh, I could yeah. attempt to do a trail run yep. and risk uh, my safety because right. it's close to hunting season. And uh, they'll take any excuse to take me out. Yeah, uh, or I can just sit here and not do anything. What? Yeah. <laughs> so I chose to sit there. <laughs> For how long? Do you remember? Oh, it was it was a good three hours. Mm-hmm. I just I I picked mm-hmm. up a book that Austin Watson. Okay, that's. Tomorrow. Only Look, that's not reading. That is not sitting there, right? Like no reading is something, right? Mm, mm. Oh yeah, but I, I finished the book within the first hour, and then the rest of the time mm-hmm. because I had read all the other books in my house. So I guess I could have downloaded like an audio book or something, which would have been far more productive. 
but I don't, so, I don't know. So no, there no, no, plenty no. Of like please, to let's to. keep talking here. I just couldn't be bothered. I don't that believe that you did nothing. Mm-hmm. Did you eat something? Did you use the mm-hmm. restroom? Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Did you take a shower? I. Mm, mm. Now I'm thinking okay. there's a problem because I I didn't so, drink any water so or eat. So did you stare at the wall? Um. I so so I just stared at the blank television because I was like, ah, I'll start something tomorrow. I didn't want to fall yeah. into the trap of watching one series for eight hours and finishing it. No, not necessarily. So I said, no, I don't know. No like I, it's very fascinating to think about by watching it. There, there's like a certain deflatedness to, to not even mm. turning on a show. Right. Like on, in one way, it's almost like that's like the way yeah. you were just describing it is I didn't even stimulate myself by turning on a show. It makes it seem as if at least if you're watching a show, you're doing something, Mm. right? But to sit there and kind of drift and to allow yourself to drift and you're not even, right? Like I think about Zen Buddhists putting it Mm -hmm, to use mm -hmm. where they talk about wall meditation, right? They want to make use of that sort of stillness. Like you didn't utilize it either, Right? Like you just mm-hmm, mm-hmm, drifted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't know if that has to be a, mm-hmm. a, a because negative usually, thing. I don't know if um, we have to interpret about, that negatively. Was it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I don't I don't think it's negative. It's just because I, I like moving so much. Yeah. Like um not even watching things move, but like moving myself. Mm-hmm. So once I'd already accomplished that daily exercise, I could have put in more work, I suppose. Yeah. But I usually, whenever I'm sitting, I, I stare off and my people ask what I'm thinking yeah. of. Usually I'm thinking about very bad yeah. things like wars that yeah. are happening, uh, like people dying, yeah. anti-poaching league, uh, right. like terrorism. And then I'm wondering how these things are happening right and then you know open up your phone every now and and see someone post on instagram just a normal picture and then two days later after they find out from someone who found out from someone else they change their um right right their avatar on instagram in solidarity with a country that's at war yeah, the, the slacktism. So I often think yes, about yes. what other people are uh, doing there's, while there was this, while um, I'm thinking about this. Oh, there was this thing. It was a Twitter post, I think. Uh, I think it was a professor that said something like, how can I expect mm. my student to write a 10-page paper in the midst of a pandemic? It's ridiculous to pretend that we're going to have classes or something like this. Uh, don't you don't you realize that the world is burning? They said something like this, mm-hmm. and at first I was like, "Oh man, that's kind of awesome, right? Like that's that's kind of okay. awesome." And then somebody responded by saying, "Didn't you realize that the world was always burning? Right? Like, yeah, yeah, fine. The United States is finally affected oh. by the coronavirus, but let's not pretend that that wasn't." And let's not pretend that the United States wasn't built on genocide and slavery, right? Like, let's not pretend that there isn't, 
right? Like you're talking about going for a run and it's hunting season and what the fuck, right? Like we, we live in this world and to be sufficient. That's why I like Adorno's quotation, like poetry after Auschwitz is barbaric, right? Like, but then I think, mm. okay, so we live in a world where the Holocaust yeah. happens, the atomic bomb happens, and then we have, I don't know, the Hanson brothers or whatever. Uh, is that life affirming yeah. or is that just delusional? Not in the medical sense, but in the sense of living cluelessly, ahistorically, right? To not realize that we're in this world where all this is happening. Mm. Okay, mm-hmm. we, we need to have something to end oh, on here. Wow, wow. Something positive. Um, <laughs> how, how do you absolutely. affirm life absolutely. <laughs> in the face of well, non-being, uh, right? Like how do you, like courage is the word for how to yes. maintain living in the face of the kind of corrosiveness of non-being that's kind of Mm. always chasing us. Yeah. So the courage to drift, you know, the courage to watch a a show, the courage to reach out to family, the courage to shelter in place, the courage to get Mm. a new job, the courage to write, the courage to have a podcast, whatever, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I um, I think a lot of people do the same thing. I do it for the the individuals who do not have the ability mm-hmm. to do it, um, in the hopes that one day I can I can help those people to do it. Right? Obviously, I can't say this about like physical accolades. Uh, people, there are mm-hmm. some people who genuinely cannot gain the ability to run. Um, Right. So that's that that would be insensitive and I would not be knowing my place in this world. Um, Yes. But to people within their own constructs, right? Equity, not equality, but expand upon yourself in a way that is possible. If you are good at mathematics, become better during this time. If you're good at writing, become a better writer. If you see someone who's not good at these things, help them out virtually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's the only thing. I think that's why I really started mm-hmm. the podcast as well to bring people on who can help me and anyone who's mm-hmm. listening expand yeah. uh, their thoughts. Because I love inviting people on yeah. who know because there's growth there, or have fully different opinions than me. All mm-hmm. right, absolutely. Yeah, I think I think no, that's I'm a good. good. Way to end it. I'm um, good. I would like Eric, to promote do you, have you. Anything that you would like to promote? Would you like to request that? Yeah, Thank you. I wish would you that like you to request all would that come anyone who's me. listening come all to the All of you University come with me to the University of the Ozarks. I'm going to miss everybody at Young Harris. But you're not at Young Harris. You're like in the world, right? So, I mean, you could come with me. Yeah. You know, you're all no. you're going to be there with me yeah. virtually at least. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I I also well, hey, yeah, I, I guess I do want to promote something. Yeah, I of do course. have 
I do have a couple books that are going to be coming out. Uh, I have one mm-hmm. book that uh, is due August 1st, and so it yes. should be coming out next year. It's going to be called Using Qu- Questions to Think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that's going to be published with Bloomsbury, and right now they're like considering giving me a contract for yes. a second book. Uh, trying to figure out what to title it. I, I had titled it, Can God Ask a Genuine Question? But mm-hmm. it's not just about gods. Uh, talk about Buddhas, too. And so uh, be looking for that one maybe in 2022. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, thanks for talking with me. Thanks for having me on. It's always good to talk with you. I hope to see you around. Yeah. All right. Take care. Bye-bye.